Welcome, everybody, to Bridge Builders Communities Church Sermon Podcast. You are listening to one of our messages from our weekly gathering. We hope that you sit back and enjoy and be blessed. And it says in verse 10, And God called the dry land earth, and God saw that it was good. And in verse 12, And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit. And God saw that it was good. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And guess what? God saw that it was good. And God created sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded. And God saw it was good. And God made the beasts of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind. And God saw it was good. And then God made man and saw that that was very good. In chapter 2, we see that God places Adam into the Garden of Eden. And it's a beautiful place. It would be a great place to spend a a vacation sometime. (laughs) Can't. But it, it was there. And God set a boundary for Adam. He told him that of all the fruit in the garden you can eat, but of the one tree, the the fruit tree of good and evil, that was the boundary. He could not do that. You know, God gives us boundaries a lot of times, not so much to test us, although it really does, but it really is for our own good. There's certain things that we can't do, that God creates boundaries. For example, that comes to my mind very, very quickly, is sex in marriage. Sex is a beautiful thing in marriage. And obviously without it, the world wouldn't even exist anymore. But it's such a beautiful thing. But when you take that same thing outside of marriage, there's the boundary there. When you take it outside of marriage, it causes devastation. Devastation for the other spouse, devastation for children, single parent families, and all all kinds of issues and problems that come out of that. And the serpent does what he does regularly in our own lives. He lies to Eve. And Eve kind of just swallows it and disobeys God and then gives to Adam for him also to disobey God. And, of course, the blame game starts. Eve uh, blames the serpent. Adam blames Eve. And Adam blames God, too, for giving him Eve. So all that that blame that comes in uh, because of that. But... Let's see what happens when disobedience and sin come in. And looking at uh, verse 7 of chapter 3, and it says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. 
And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So all of a sudden they realize that they're naked. And in comes shame. Something that didn't exist really until they were disobedient. The sin brought in the guilt and the shame. And look what the guilt does. Adam and Eve went and hid. They're ashamed. They're, they're ashamed of what, of what they did, of the sin that they committed. So guilt and shame has entered into that. So up to this point, both Adam and Eve had a great relationship with God. They, they walked with God in the garden. God would come in and they would, they would converse with God. They would walk with God. And the minute guilt and shame came in, now they're hiding and they're covering themselves, okay? Something that they never had to do before, because that, that did not exist. So guilt and shame breaks our relationship with God. It's something that comes in that God really doesn't want us to deal with because of the fact that it upsets the relationship that he wants to have with us. See, guilt and shame exist. There's there's no doubt about it. It's out there. But God doesn't want us to live in it. And God will never use guilt and shame as a tool to get you to do something. He doesn't want to use guilt and shame even to make you obey what he's doing. That's not the purpose. See, Satan will use guilt and shame because he knows what that's going to do. He knows that that's going to interrupt the relationship that you have with God. So it's a good thing that the Bible didn't end in chapter 3 of Genesis. Because that would have been a horrible thing. Because what do we do now? But God knew the answer. He He knew he was going to send Jesus to take care of that situation. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you've done for us, Lord God, for what you give us every day, but especially for sending Jesus so that we don't have to deal with guilt and shame all the time, that we can give that thing to you, Lord. And uh, Lord, we ask that you help us to understand this and how to deal with this regularly in our lives so that our relationship with you grows and doesn't get interrupted. It doesn't get uh, stagnated uh, in in a certain place that uh, doesn't allow it to grow. And we pray that in your name, Lord. Amen. Yeah, Satan accuses us day and night. That's what Revelation says. Okay, so he wants us to be guilty. I don't know if um, you've heard of a a fellow named uh, Lee Strobel. Okay, I saw hands go right up. So yeah, he's he's pretty uh, pretty common common name out there. Uh, Patty and I were watching uh, the uh, story. Uh, He wrote the case for Christ, and we 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 saw uh, kind of like his life story. And it was very, very interesting. He's an atheist at, at one point and a newspaper writer. And uh, he, uh, they, he had a little girl that I think she was around three or four at the time. And they happened to be in a restaurant. 
and the the little his little girl started choking on something that they were eating at the time, and nobody could seem to, you know, get out of her her throat what what she was choking on, and there was a nurse that happened to come into the restaurant, and we find out later on that this nurse is a Christian and that she felt from the Lord, she was supposed to go somewhere else to another restaurant, and the Lord was leading her to this restaurant. Well, she winds up saving the little girl. And, of course, the, the, the wife and the husband, Lee and his wife, are very grateful, but the, the wife really goes to bring her a gift, and the lady, being a Christian, invites her to church. Now, there, it's an atheistic family, but, they, but the wife goes to church, Lee doesn't, and uh, she eventually um, goes back to church a number of times and gives her life to the Lord. Well, Lee is not too happy about that. Because he's an atheist and he believes that what she's believing is all fairy tale stuff. So he is bent on proving that this is a fairy tale. And he goes to every length, because he's a newspaper person and he knows how to investigate so he talks to very, very many people that are experts in the field, reads a lot of information, and months and months and months down the road of trying to put together all this information to prove that this is a fairy tale. And in the end, can't prove it. He can't prove it, and he winds up uh, accepting God as, as being real and accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior. And it's, a, it's a great story, but he goes home and tell his wife, he said, I'm going to print all this stuff in the newspaper so other people can read it. So he goes to the editor of the newspaper and he goes, are you kidding? We're not printing that stuff in the newspaper. So he came home and he's very disappointed and tells his wife. His wife says, why don't you write a book instead? And that's how the case of Christ came about. Great book to read. Because if you really say he's God, then he could have done anything he wanted to do. So he didn't have to suffer anything. So he's thinking, that's proof. You know, he should have done something about it because he had all the power. So therefore, he really can't be God. So he asked the priest, he said, why? Why did he go through all of that if he could have done something about it? And the priest gave him one answer, one word, love. And that struck me, and you could see it in his face. He didn't know how to answer that, you know. And he, he looking at this uh, a picture of the, um, the cloth that Jesus' face was on, the Shroud of Turin. He was looking at that picture, and he could see the love in Jesus' eye. When we go back to a Roman crucifixion and what Jesus went through, it's absolutely incredible. One of the things was the pain that they put through, people through. The other thing was the humiliation that they put you through. Number one, that you were exposed as a criminal uh, in front of, you know, everybody that walked by that day. And the other thing is something that we don't realize a lot of times is, is the fact that, because when we see a crucifix and we see Jesus hanging on the crucifix, we always see this loincloth around him. 
But a Roman crucifixion, they hung you naked before the world. And we see that the, the gospel is very discreet about this. It doesn't really tell you that when you study Roman crucifixions. It does. But I, I want to go to Luke 23. And you could go there with me if you want. There's a couple of verses in there that show a couple of things that we can, we can read through very quickly without realizing it. First of all, Luke 23, 4, it says, So Pilate said to the chief priest in the crowd, I find no fault in this man. They could not find any fault in Jesus. Okay, So he was suffering uh, for a crime that he did not commit. Of course, we know that that crime was our sins. All right, And he was suffering for that. But if we look also at verse 49, probably have to flip a page to get there. Verse 49, it says, But all his acquaintances and the woman who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. And this, this was actually predicted in the Psalms. If you go back to Psalm 38, verse 11, it says something very similar. It says, My loved ones and my friends stand aloof from my plague, and my relatives stand afar off. Now, during, the, during Jesus' crucifixion, there were a lot of people standing close by because you could see that the, the Roman centurion was there, actually put the, the spear through his side at one point. So there were people that were close by during the crucifixion. But his relatives stood afar off. Why? Why were they so far away? Why wouldn't they want to be closer in order to, you know, to maybe console him or, or speak to him or whatever? And the reason for that is because he was naked. And it's, that's a humiliating thing for somebody to, for, you know, all your friends to be there and seeing you naked hung out like that. You know, think it, if I can try and say this as discreetly as possible, but if we were outside in a crowd of people and our clothes suddenly just fell off, that we would just naturally cover up. We, you know, we would do this. That, that's just a natural way of, of doing that because we're extremely embarrassed. Now think of Jesus on the cross. He's like this. He, he can't cover up. Okay, And for three hours, he's hanging there on the cross, naked before the world. This was done purposely by the Romans to humiliate the person before, before they died. Okay, This is the humiliation that he took for us. Like I said, he could have been born in our generation. And his, he could have died for us, but his death wouldn't have been that humiliation that that he experienced during the Roman time. Today he'd be given a, a shot that would probably kill him in a couple of minutes and it would be pretty much painless. All right? He came at a time when it was probably the most painful time. Okay, so he took that guilt, our guilt of sin, and our shame that we experience when we sin. Okay, and he took that upon himself. 
when he exposed himself during that whole time. Okay, that's the love that he had for us, and that's what he did to to bring that to you know a, a the forefront of he doesn't want us dealing with guilt and shame. That is not something that uh, he you know wants us to experience. Remember that when we are dealing with guilt and shame, repentance should come in immediately. The repentance is what should take away the guilt and the shame because of his death. Because the minute we repent, the guilt is no longer there. The shame should no longer be there. Now, if we are dealing with guilt and shame, even after that, then it might be a mindset that we have. The devil can lie to us, and we can hold this in our minds. That's what some of the Freedom Weekends are about. Because, you know, we get these, these mindsets that, uh, the, you know, Satan has lied to us and told us that no matter what, we have done something too horrible. And Jesus really, really can't forgive us. You know, and that's what we have to be careful of. Sometimes we have trouble believing what God's Word says about us. Sometimes we just have trouble with that. You know, I see very frequently uh, in, in the aspects of healing, when God tells us that we are healed by his stripes, many times we look at circumstances and we say, but so-and-so didn't get healed, and this, and then you got all these reasons. And then what happens? We get this unbelief in our minds that, well, it's not really for me, but that's not what God's word says. Because it says all. All includes everybody. So we, we see that. Now, I know there's, there are, there's a time thing here, too, that we have to be, to think about. In eternity, there is no time. So when God says, you are healed, you are healed basically in, in eternity where there is no time. So when we take that down onto earth where there is time, we don't know the timing in things. Because it's already happened in eternity, but in, on the earth, we haven't seen the, the visibility of that yet. But, we, but it, it shouldn't get us to the point where we say, well, I don't believe it then because I saw Mary so-and-so wasn't healed. You know, and that, that type of thing. So that's what we, we have to be careful in there, in, in that. We have to believe what God's word says. So I, I want to give you a couple of things about what Jesus' blood does for us. And when we look at that, these are things that we need to believe all the, all the time. Ephesians 1 7. And we're going to bounce around for just a little while here. Ephesians 1 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. We should never feel, if, we're, if we've repented, we should never ever feel that it was too much too much of a sin for us to 
not be forgiven. Okay? So God's very, very clear. We have redemption. We're redeemed, brought back by His, through His blood. And in, stay with Ephesians now for a minute. Uh, Ephesians 2.13. Something else that the blood of Jesus does. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So we're brought near to Christ by the blood. Alright, so, so he redeems us, he brings us near, and it gets better. Let's go to Romans 5.9. And 5.9 says, Much more than, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. I used to listen to Derek Prince talk about being justified. He would say, Justified means just as if I have never sinned. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, we're justified. We're, it's, it's like we never, ever sinned. And you know, we're all sinners. We know we all, we all have sinned, but it's like we haven't. This is wonderful. Hebrews 13.12 goes a little further than that. It says, Therefore... Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Sanctifies, makes us holy. Okay? It's just, it just keeps getting better and better. And then finally, Hebrews 10.19. Just a couple of pages back. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of of Jesus. He gives us the boldness. His blood makes us bold that we can approach God, that we can stand in His presence. You know, God gives us certain things. I'm reading in Psalm, uh, Psalm 91 talks about how He actually honors us, He actually lifts us up and, and holds us up. You know, when when uh, a dignitary, let's say, President of the United States, calls you up and says, I want you to come to the White House because we want to honor you in front of all America. That's what God's doing with us. God's a lot more important than President of the United States, but he wants to present you and honor you. So uh, he, it really is uh, amazing um, what the blood of Jesus does for that. And we need to remind ourselves of this you know, constantly, especially if we're dealing with guilt and shame, you know, because these are things that can help us bring us out of it. I, I want to give an example of somebody that actually did this. Um, I want you to go to Mark chapter 8 for a minute. Isn't that fun bouncing around the Bible? And verse 33. I forgot to mark this myself. Here we are. Okay, I'm going to go back one verse, 32. It says, He spoke this word openly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan. 
For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Peter had said something to Jesus, that Jesus was rebuking him over. When I think of that situation, I think of how humiliating that must have been for Peter. You know, that's that's shame. And yet, look at where Peter wound up in the end, you know. I'm sure Peter must have at some point repented of what he had said. And because he came back from that in comparison with one of the other apostles, Judas, who did something terrible to the Lord. And instead of repenting, he gave in to the guilt and shame and committed suicide. Okay, So you can see examples uh, from the apostles of how some dealt with this guilt and shame and, and, how they, and how they did that. Okay, this ran out of time and we're getting close to the end, so that's good. Alrighty, so many of us do have a hard time believing what God says about us. Because of, in my mind, it's like almost too good to be true. But it is true, because the Word says it's true. So we have to believe what the word says and not to bring, you know, not to believe the circumstances. When we do experience shame, we need to bring it out of the shadows and into the light of Jesus. When we bring it into the light and expose it, there's no longer shame. It's not there anymore. All right? Important for us to do that. Because guilt and shame will interfere with our relationship with God. Repentance is always important first, but if there's an issue after repentance, in other words, if you're still dealing with guilt and shame, there might be some deliverance that's needed. And that's when it would be good to see Jay or myself and talk about that and see we'll definitely pray with you over that.